Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. Christian arguments about the foundation of ethical norms often take place within a theoretical framework shaped by consideration of a natural law. Many proposed efforts at describing secular foundations for morality likewise consider a natural law, but without the additional Christian belief that this natural law would be a divine behest. In both cases, there's a presumption that we can speak of human nature and that we might presume or achieve a modicum of agreement as to the character of that human nature and some of the ethical principles that human nature might imply or even necessitate. This agreement as to the character of human nature itself or the ramifications which we might draw from it is presumed to be obvious in early Enlightenment thinkers such as Hobbes, John Locke, or Thomas Jefferson. Still, Locke and Hobbes would conceive of the character of human nature very differently and likewise draw very different norms from it. By contrast, in today's post-Enlightenment climate, the suggestion that we could describe any standard conception of human nature at all would be met with great skepticism, if not even outrage. So in this postmodern context, many would argue that morality is not grounded or even capable of being grounded at all. Between Locke and postmodernism, the later Enlightenment, specifically the thought project that we call German idealism, offered an attempt to specify a foundation for ethical thought or for morality which was objective and rational, one which was universal, but one which was not conceived as grounded in God in a traditional Orthodox Christian or in a Christian natural law sense. Kant understood reason to be separate and independent from our human nature. Reason forms, according to Kant, the high court of all truth and of moral judgments as included within that court of truth. So for Kant then, morality is grounded not in God nor in human nature, but in reason itself. Human beings like God are rational beings and thus both God and man are subject, if you will, to the dictates of reason, including the rational moral law. Morality is grounded in reason uh, a conception of reason which sounds almost platonic at times in its separate and autonomous existence, above and beyond the realm of particular human natures, human beings, and human cognitions. Because the principle of universality is rational, God too, for Kant, would be compelled to acknowledge its dictates and ramifications. Hegel critiques the Kantian separation of reason from its specific human and historical context. In this respect, Hegel might be taken to play Aristotle to Kant's Plato. In another respect, some might argue that Hegel starts the ball rolling which leads down the slippery slope to present-day relativism. This argument would be difficult to dispute, but it should be noted as well that Hegel, like Kant, does understand reason to be, um, reason itself to be, though working itself out through the specific moments of spirit in history, it is something which transcends the individual moment in history and which has a type of universality. So Hegel's idea of this universality and transcendence is that of a transcendence which cannot be understood apart from its imminence in the decidedly human experience. 
spirit immersed in the movement of history, movements of history. So to simplify the equation for starting out, right, perhaps a bit too concisely, for Hegel, God and reason are subservient to the divinity of human reason and experience, to the rationality found in specific movements of human geist, and to the imminent impulses through which that spirit directs history. In fact, it's not quite correct to say that God would be subservient to human reason. It would be more proximate to Hegel's view to say that God is the movement and experience of human history, human reason, and human culture. God must be understood as spirit in his community. Uh, which is uh, one of the quotes, the quotes from uh, number one in your handout, God must be understood as spirit in his community. Those are from the section on absolute spirit in the encyclopedia. Perhaps a brief sketch of each project as regards the question of the grounding of morality would be helpful at this juncture. And I think what I'm trying to do today is to look at a couple of models, different models, both of which um, try to ground morality apart from God, uh, both of which are rationalistic rather than human nature oriented in their uh, scope. Um, I've already described Kant's purpose as that of grounding ethical judgment in reason itself. As in the critique of pure reason, so also in his ethical philosophy, Kant wishes to investigate the a priori science of practical reason completely apart from any empirical material. For Kant, this is possible in matters concerning ethics, and the endeavor leads us to pu the purely formal principle of all practical reason, which Kant famously calls his categorical imperative. This claims that we should only act in such wise that our maxims, according to which our actions have been decided upon, should be universally applicable, should treat our fellow persons as end in themselves, and should be desirable as laws of the land in a kingdom where we were the lawgivers. For Kant, the greatest travesty, both in knowledge and in action, is the subservience of our reason to an authority not of our own making. That is what enlightenment means for Kant. In the essay, What is Enlightenment?, he berates traditionalism as immaturity, and in the ethical works, he rejects categorically any submission to a law not of my own making as, quote, heteronomy, right? Kant's famous word, heteronomy. Uh, I, I believe it's Kant's word. I don't think I've encountered it anywhere else. Okay, so Hegel is no less of an Enlightenment thinker than Kant, and his critique of Kant in no way points back. It's sometimes taken as a regression to a, a preceding type of metaphysics. That's not correct. In no way points back to what Kant calls heteronomy. Rather, Hegel finds that there is a gap between the formality of Kant's purported autonomy and the actual empirical human beings for whom Kant's moral law is to stand as a product of their own reason. Hegel's critique of Kant is always some version of the point that Kant's conception of reason divorces itself too thoroughly from the human beings who are the rational beings at issue. Separates itself, becomes separated um, um, from our actual human experience. Kant roughly becomes some sort of a Platonist who describes an abstract reason separate from its imminent instantiation in rational human beings. Um, so in quote number, the, the quotes under number two from the philosophy of, of right are instances of this critique. In the philosophy of right, Hegel begins by hammering home the imperative that a concept to deserve the name cannot be a formal abstraction 
separated from the specific context within which said concept arises and becomes compelling. In other words, we cannot separate the formal a priori part of the study of practical philosophy from the material, which is exactly what Kant says we must do. From the first paragraph of the philosophy of right and the comments on that paragraph, Hegel insists, quote, the subject matter of the philosophical science of right is the idea of right. That is the concept of right together with the actualization of the concept. And again, the shapes which the concept assumes in the course of its actualization are indispensable for the knowledge of the concept itself. They are the second essential moment of the idea in distinction from the first, that is from its form, from its mode of being as concept alone. And again, and this one's on your handout again, the idea of right is freedom, and if it is to be truly understood, it must be known both in its concept and in the determinate existence of that concept. Okay, so that's a brief sketch of the relation between the two Enlightenment projects, uh, Kant and Hegel. I'm going to um, articulate several postulates in this paper, or explain, or thematize them, and I've listed them here on your handout. Um, each of these could occasion a separate lengthy discussion, or several, um, so I've assembled them together in bullet form, and I guess these are, in rough form, the thesis of the paper. Um, Postulates number one and two. Kant and Hegel would both argue that morality can be grounded apart from God. Uh, both would take the fact of this secular morality to be too obvious to require specific articulation. Three and four. Kant's grounding of morality is completely separated from the nature of humanity itself and is grounded rather in reason apart from human nature. Hegel's morality is not so separated from the human character of human existence. Hegel's morality is not, however, any less of a rationalism than Kant. Hegel would conceive of rationalism in a more robust and inclusive way, as opposed to Kant's more formal and restrictive conception of reason. And I don't think that, I, that the, those descriptions you know, weigh the question. I think those are fairly fair to both and both would agree with that language, I think. Uh, five, insofar as Hegel's discussion of ethics, morality, or ethical life include all of what is included in being human, they share some articulation of the meaning of human nature with the natural law discussions, though differently. Kant's do not. Six, Hegel's conception of human spirit reincorporates metaphysics, which Kant had excised thoroughly from philosophical inquiry. Hegel's metaphysics, however, is, not, is, is a rationalist metaphysics, and it is not an Aristotelian or a substantialist one. And seven, Hegel's conception of human spirit does include a discussion of the divine, of religion, and of God. The, basics for, the basis for Hegel's ethics is thus more humanist, though less uh, secularist, than Kant's. Okay, so there's plenty to discuss with all that. Um, how much time have I used, or do I have left? Uh, oh, okay, that's the, right. Um, okay, I don't know whether either of these models help answer the question of whether morality is possible separate from a divine grounding. But uh, Kant and Hegel represent two philosophers, both of whom would answer the question, must morality be grounded in God in the negative? and both of whom would sketch a different basis for that grounding 
than that of the natural law of Locke or others. Thus, for both Kant and Hegel, the answer to the question, must morality be grounded in God, would be no, while the answer to the question, does morality have a transcendent foundation, would be yes, or a qualified yes, in uh, Hegel's case. There would be complicating considerations in describing this transcendence, which will reveal a complicated or possibly an incoherent on, uh, take on what transcendence means in Hegel's case. For Kant, rationality is transcendent in a fairly clear way, as reason itself is binding upon and in some sense independent of any particular rational beings. Kant's rationality is thus transcendent in a way somewhat similar to the Christian idea that God is transcendent, or perhaps more similar to the Protestant understanding of that than to the Catholic understanding of the meaning of transcendence. Hegel, as may be, as may be well known, wants to subvert that kind of transcendence, whether we're talking about rationality or about God. In both cases, Hegel's description of these is imminentist. I don't know if that's a word or not. Um, but it is, immanentist, right? In a way which is not easily explained as either transcendent or not. And this has yielded much discussion. Um, so in theological topics, Hegel might be described alternately as theological and then again as anti-theological or as theist and again sometimes as pantheist. And the confusion for that is rooted in his effort to incorporate both transcendence and immanence into a holistic portrayal of human spirit Human spirit, this is Hegel language, right? Human spirit going forth from itself, transcending itself and reaching beyond itself to its own most divine moment, and then incorporating that divinity into itself as spirit. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's uh, Hegel language about the pro progress of human spirit. So Kant and Hegel raise interesting questions which pertain to the call for papers for this conference. Both offer attempts to ground morality in something besides God, Kant in rationality, and Hegel in the divinity of human spirit. Both mean by this something which in some way transcends our normal day-to-day -day experience, but at the same time, something which is decidedly more human, or perhaps better articulated, more humanist, than are, for example, the Ten Commandments of Exodus or the Divine Commands of the Jewish Torah, at least and particularly as these are understood by the pseudo-Christian thinkers of the European Enlightenment. They loved to rail on the type of law that we have in the Jewish Torah and in the Ten Commandments. Um, both Kant and Hegel offer secularized projects in the sense that both strive to find the human ground of morality apart from religious thought or stipulations. So to approach the conference question, do either of these projects succeed in grounding morality apart from God? Do they help us toward that project, if, the, if that is a possible or desirable project at all? I would not at this point try to argue that either of these projects do help or succeed in that project. My interest here is in the way that they offer an attempt which takes a different approach than natural law and what the significance of that approach might be. It's a question that I'm here trying to open rather than trying to answer. Um, I would, and I have some consideration of each project in turn relative to the question of the grounding of that morality and relation to God, but I think I might be a bit pressed to cover it. Um, I'm going to cover part of the Hegel part, uh, since we have a paper on Kant coming up later as well. Um, so Hegel has noted a gap in the Kantian proposal 
and this is the persistent and perennial difficulty of Kantian discussions of ethics. He notes this gap before Kant even finished his work. Um, the metaphysics of morals coming out in 1797, and Hegel had found Kant's Achilles heel by 1796. In the spirit of Christianity, Hegel argues that Kant's ethics requires just as much subservience to a foreign force as does the Jewish law, you know, which they both, of course, take to be a terrible thing. The statement requires some clarification. Uh, both Hegel and Kant are good Enlightenment Marcionists, we could say. Both take the Jewish law of the Christian Old Testament to the, be the paradigm of something bad, which Kant would call heteronomy, and Ke Hegel calls more crassly a slavish mentality. Um, this phrase and this take on the Jewish law persists in Nietzsche's writings and, and threw him to Hitler, and some have held Hegel accountable for that trajectory. Uh, but both Kant and Hegel find it objectionable that one would receive one's moral law from an outside power, such as a god, or explicit in Kant's What is Enlightenment essay, a church or a creed, right? Kant says that kind of thing is impossible. Strange description. Um, Hegel's argument, consequently, that Kant's ethics resembles the Jewish law in becoming subservient to an alien power is an argument which attempts to hoist Kant on his own petard, in a sense, as the saying goes. Um, Hegel argued that the morality to which I adhere must come from my own rationality, Kant had argued, uh, must come from my own rationality, from the reason which I have inherent in myself as a rational agent or a person. But that reason can differ drastically and even diametrically from my own particular inclinations. So I have this gulf or this gap. Kantian autonomy is not, a case of a, is not in any case a hedonism or a defense of whim or caprice. So this sets up the tension with which Hegel finds fault. And we have the quote um, from the spirit of Christianity here where he um, articulates this. He says, the difference is not that the former, the subject compelled to obey laws of his own making or, or the Jewish law, right, make themselves slaves while the latter is free. That's exactly what Kant would say the difference is, right? We men of the Enlightenment are free. Those preceding ages are held in captivity either to the God of the Old Testament or to the Catholic Church, right, with its dictates but we have to dare to reason. Um, the difference is not that the former make themselves free while the latter is free, but that the former have their Lord outside themselves while the latter carries his Lord inside himself, yet at the same time is his own slave. Right? That's Hegel's critique of the Kantian system. So Hegel's approach, um, I'm going to skip part of, part of what I have left, but Hegel's approach will admit of treating human nature, um, but will treat that in a way which is different, try to be more holistic and incorporate together some of the things that Kant wants to separate. Um, so I'll conclude with this. However, um, for, for Hegel then, substance is absolute spirit in its fullest manifestation as spirit as God returned to himself through his movements out from and back to himself. However pantheistic this might sound vis-a-vis -vis Orthodox Christianity, it does retain uh, a certain objectivity to it. There's a transcendence towards which spirit in history reaches and against which history is defined as relevant or not, tending toward the realization of the idea as spirit or not, and that can provide the basis for ethical judgments. However, if Kant's Achilles heel is unifying the free person with the ethical imperatives inherent in his own rationality, 
Hegel's would be defining the criteria for this transcendent spirit, which realizes itself through the teleological movements of human history. And like Hegel did for Kant, Hegel's successors will quickly probe this difficulty and find that Hegel's system is famously upside down. Within roughly a decade of Hegel's death, Marx has proposed that, if we, that we can turn it right side up by defining the human nature which we wish to see achieved. It's thoroughly contingent. We can pick what kind of human nature and human society we want to have. And Feuerbach claims that this is all that religion has been doing all along. Okay, thanks. Faith and Reason Podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.